Good morning. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. We'll be coming back to uh, this chapter, zooming in a little bit today. Genesis chapter 19, and we'll go uh, from verse 1 to verse 11. This is just giving you some context. Uh, There were angels that visited Abraham in chapter 18. They told him that they're going to uh, investigate Sodom to see if the sin there was really as great as what uh, God had heard. And these are those angels arriving there in Sodom. Chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men, of so- the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance shut the- and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. That is God's word. That's what we will study today. Let's pray and ask God to bless this time. Father God, I pray sincerely and earnestly that you would give me the grace this morning to speak on this topic of the the sin of Sodom. God, I pray that you would help me to do so in a way that does your word, the, the Bible, justice. And God, I recognize that as we come to this topic, everyone in this room, um, brings their own preconceived ideas, their own preconceived biases and and, uh, emotions. Lord, I recognize that some people, when they think about this topic of homosexuality, they are filled with pride that they don't struggle with this. And that manifests itself in unloving and unkind words. And so, Lord, I ask that for those of us who deal with pride, you would show us our own sinfulness, Lord. Remind us of our own 
unworthiness, God. And on the other hand, Lord, I know that some people, maybe they struggle with this themselves, maybe people close to them struggle with homosexuality, and so, Lord, they may have inordinate sympathy and compassion that leads them uh, to be unwilling to accept the truth of your word. Lord, I pray for um, those people, those of us that struggle with this um, misplaced, uh, misaligned sympathy, Lord, that we would see that true compassion warns people of true sin that will receive judgment, but it also tells people of the salvation that is offered in Christ Jesus, Lord. I pray all of this in his name, the Savior of all sinners, Jesus. Amen. We will have a a, a somewhat interesting uh, week uh, something I, I haven't preached on too many times, the, the sin of Sodom. The reason I want to do this is uh, last week we looked at Abraham and Lot. These are two righteous men, right? They, they both had, had trusted in God, and we, we saw that uh, later in the Bible that Lot even is called righteous and godly Lot. So we know he had trusted in God um, just as much as Abraham, but we saw that they made different choices. You remember this? Abraham had trusted God and continued closely with God, not perfectly, but Lot was just continually compromising, and he was just walking further and further away from God's blessing and landed himself and his whole family in a great deal of trouble. But today, I want to look at not just Lot and not just Abraham. I want to look at the other uh, uh, participants in this event and that is the, the people of Sodom, the people of the city. Uh, there were, there were, it was more than just Sodom that was destroyed, by the way, but uh, specifically Sodom, because that's where these men were and where Lot was. Uh, I, I want to zoom in and see what was really going on here. What was so bad that God was going to destroy this city? <clears throat> Surely, uh, the, these people, the men of Sodom, were involved in many grievous sins. I want to say that clearly. They were surely involved in many grievous sins. Even in the, the text I just read, we see that these uh, men of Sodom were unloving. They were inhospitable. They are even hostile and, and wanting to be violent against these men and against Lot. I mean, th those are grievous sins. Those are, those are pretty bad things. When I mean, it would be bad if you went, you know, drove to uh, uh, Nashville or something, and, just, and while you were there, people tried to, you know, beat you up. You'd say, okay, I'm not going there. Like, there's bad people there. But that's exactly what happened to these men just because they went to Sodom. But <laughs> even with th those other sins that we see here clearly in the text— there is most likely one sin that comes to mind most strongly when we think about Sodom, and that is obviously homosexuality. That is most likely what comes to your mind when you think of Sodom. And uh, the reason I know that that's most likely what comes to your mind is we now have a word, right? Sodomy. Where do you think that comes from? That, that comes from this text. Sodomy is, is the, the, the homosexual act uh, between two males and um, that, that comes from this text in the Bible. And so that's, that's the, the sin, the particular sin that is highlighted in these verses, at least according to our uh, understanding. 
And so I think we have some questions before us because I, I don't want to be, uh, you know, just, just, just following along, you know, uh, just whatever I've been told, whatever I've been grown, grown up learning. I want to know what the Bible truly says. So I think we need to answer some questions about this text. And I would say this especially because this text in particular and many others like it concerning this subject matter are under attack today by so-called liberal theologians. And so we need to be able to answer these questions, and we need to know what to do about it. So the first question I want to answer is, were the people of Sodom really engaged in homosexuality? Is that biblically and historically accurate that they were even involved in homosexuality? Is that even going on here? Second, I want to think, think about and look at if the people of Sodom were engaged in homosexuality, was that such a bad thing? Is that a big deal? Is that a big deal in God's eyes? And then finally, I want to look at, okay, if they were involved in homosexual activity, and if that was a bad thing in God's eyes, what does that mean for us today, 6,000 years later, in the New Testament era, Christ has come, what does all this mean for us today? Have the rules changed? You know, wh what's the deal? We need to understand these things because, again, all of this is under attack. And it's, it's more than that. I, I was thinking this through, like, is this really what I want to do? Do I really want to preach this sermon? You know, I, I preached on chapter 18 and 19 last week. Do I need to come back to this, or do I just keep going? And uh, I, I was thinking, well, there, there's a couple reasons I want to come back to this. Is, uh, first, um, the Bible tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, uh, for correction, for, the training, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so we have here nestled in chapter 19 this, this subject of homosexuality, and it's part of all Scripture that is breathed out for our good and for our training. And so I knew, you know what, I, I need to, to, to look into this a little deeper. But the second reason, and uh, maybe even more why I wanted to dig in deeply, is whether or not you realize it, the, the, the issue of homosexuality is incredibly relevant for your life. Okay? The issue of homosexuality is incredibly relevant for your life. I think it would be very hard to function in this world outside of living in a cave uh, without homosexuality being um, put in your face. I would say probably more than any time in the history of the world, uh, homosexuality is being called to our attention. Let me just give you a few examples of this that, that it should click with you very quickly. Just think about media right now, the world of media. TV shows, movies, books, magazine articles, blog posts, advertisements. I mean, many, many, many companies even. We take it advertisements. Many companies right now are pushing homosexuality in their, their posters, in their, their uh, TV ads, in their, um, you know, internet ads are pushing, not just saying it exists, but pushing homosexuality. Uh, TV shows, it's hard to find a TV show that doesn't have uh, homosexual relationships in it. And the whole point of it is to normalize homosexuality as a viable option, just like heterosexuality is a viable option. They're, they're trying to make it the same thing. You think about last month was the month of June. Does anyone know what last month was? Pride month. 
It was a whole month dedicated. You have all sorts of things for Pride Month. There were pride parades. There was pride memorabilia, clothing, things you could, you know, buy. Facebook filters. You might have seen uh, the rainbow Facebook filters over people's profile pictures. Uh, all of this is meant to normalize and celebrate homosexuality. It is in your face. It is in my face. It really is. And this is not only true for adult media, by the way. All of that was sort of on the adult side. Uh, but even our children are absolutely seeing this like never before. Um, earlier this year, you may have heard this, earlier this year there was an episode. I think it was the premiere episode of, of Arthur this season. Uh, so I just said that, the premiere episode of Arthur, which is, which is they, they say is geared to, toward four to eight-year-olds. You hear me? They haven't, kids haven't even gone to school yet. Four-year-olds to eight-year-olds that included a gay wedding in, one of their, in this premiere episode. And this is not just a, a side thing. This is Arthur's teacher gets married to another man. So that means this will be a continuing theme within uh, the, the series. I read a, an article on it, and the, the producer of the show uh, is very pro-homosexuality, and he said, I want the kids uh, to see this as normal, and that's why he put it in the show. Arthur, four years old to eight years old. And that, that's not the only example. That's just the one that, for me, was most shocking. And, um, but that's the world we're living in. Whether or not you realize that homosexuality uh, is incredibly relevant to your lives— it, 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 you have to think about, am I going to watch this show? Am I going to let my kids watch this show? Well, maybe homosexuality is normal. If we have a whole month celebrating it, if we have parades about it, if, well, if that person put this Facebook filter on, then maybe it's normal. We have to think about these things. Secondly, I'd say this is uh, relevant for us because this is a hugely political issue. Am I right? This matters for what candidate you vote for. This matters uh, for, for when you're, you take a poll or something telling your views. This matters for what you, the emails you maybe write to your representatives of your state. This matters uh, for, for myself and for anyone who else who is ordained politically, whether or not I would uh, do, do a, a, a homosexual so-called wedding, which there is no such thing as a homosexual wedding, by the way. But th this matters. This is a political issue because now pastors like me are getting sued for not doing these things. People are getting sued for not making cakes, right? These are all things that we have seen. This is a hugely political issue, and we need to be able to think through it. Then I would say— that was the world, right? The big bad world, the evil media, and the, the, the evil politicians. But even in the, I'm going to say, so-called church, I, I don't know that I believe it's always the church, so I have it in my um, notes in quotation marks, the so-called church, homosexuality is being um, almost wholesale accepted you know what? Maybe we've been rejecting this. Maybe we've been backward thinking. Maybe we should accept it. And you think about it, denomination after denomination is saying, you know what? We're okay with homosexuality. We no, no longer consider it a sin. We will even, um, you know, have uh, homosexual clergy at this point. This is what is going on. And these are the same people oftentimes who are attacking texts like the ones we're, the one we're looking at today. And finally, the reason I want to preach on this is statistically, uh, as well as um, experientially, what I've seen in my own life, statistically and experientially, pretty much everyone in this room either 
comes in contact regularly with someone who struggles with homosexuality, this is whether or not you know it, by the way, or you yourself struggle with homosexuality. This is just statistically, experientially, I've had uh, a number of friends who have struggled with homosexuality, some Christian, some not Christian, um, who have had to walk through this issue themselves. And so we have all these reasons that this is important and relevant for our lives, and we have to make decisions, right? So if I am tempted, you know, if, if I have a same-sex attraction, should I give in to those feelings, or should I fight them? If I know someone engaged in that kind of lifestyle, practicing that kind of lifestyle, should I support them, or should I urge them to do otherwise? And what I want to do today is, is say, well, what does God's word say about it? Have we just been following tradition on this homosexuality thing? Oh, it's so bad, you know, or is there something to it? Is it really in God's word? And it, what, what does God want us to think about it? And so I'm not going to give you a bunch of statistics or psychology. I'm going to give you God's word this morning because this is so incredibly important. So I don't really have bullet points or anything like that. I just have questions that I want to answer for us this morning. Uh, the first one is, was homosexuality one of the main sins of Sodom? And if so, was that considered sinful in God's eyes? Was homosexuality even what we're dealing with here? And, and again, the reason I uh, have to ask this question is, I read commentaries, I, I, I read um, internet articles uh, about these passages, and there is the liberal argument right now, again, the so-called liberal theologians, who would say the people of Sodom ha had no intention of homosexual activity uh, with these visitors. I want to tell you something, too. This is the reason I'm going to go through what, what they, the, the liberal theologians, are saying and uh, what the Bible says is because I remember when I first started hearing and reading articles and, and reading um, commentaries that were on the liberal side, I remember thinking, oh no, oh no, what, what if I have been reading the Bible wrong all these years? What if these people really are seeing it correctly? And I, and I, I was very intimidated. Uh, these guys are theologians, right? They, they've studied this stuff. Surely they know better than I do. And so what I want to show you today is uh, usually how shaky of a foundation they're standing on, the liberal theologians. Um, I want to show you that if they are actually being intellectually honest and, and hermeneutically honest, there, there's no way that they could um, actually say the things that they're saying. And again, I have talked to friends who have said, you know what, I, I read this and maybe, so maybe homosexuality is okay. Uh, and and they're, they're getting that from people who call themselves Christians, people who call themselves theologians. And so that's why I want to do this for you. So some would say homosexuality uh, isn't even uh, in view here. And the reason they would say that is if you look at the verses again, verse 19, or sorry, sorry chapter 19, verses 4 through 5, is it's kind of um, just the wording that's used here that it never explicit, explicitly says we want to have, um, you know, homosexual relations with these men. So look at that, verse 4 and 5. But before they lay down, that's the, the two visitors, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. 
See, there's that technicality they use. The, the, the people come to the house and they actually say why they want to, to talk to the people, why they want uh, the, men, the visitors to come out, that we may know them. This is what the literal, liberal theologian would say. They'd say they just want to, at worst, interrogate them. Okay, well, maybe who are these visitors? Maybe that's the sin, that they were just being, you know, unkind and in, inhospitable. So the question is, is that a viable conclusion? Is that uh, what this is talking about, this word know, in the context? Is it just talking about, I want to intellectually uh, know them or relationally know them? So that was the liberal argument. Now I'm going to give you the biblical answer. The Hebrew word for know used there is the word yada, Y-A-D-A, if you, uh, that's a transliteration, um, so anyways, the, word, the Hebrew word there, yada, is used many times, many, many times in, Bible, in the Bible. And all it really is, it is sometimes used as an intellectually no, but many times it's used just as a less crude, non-vulgar way of saying sexual relations. You think about this, we do this today. Uh, we, we say, and then he slept with her. We're not really talking about sleeping, about what a good night of rim, you know, patterns they went through and, you know, the cycles they went through. That's not what we're talking about when we say they slept with another person. We're, we're talking about the sexual relations. That's what it's talking about here is this know them as sexual relations. Let me show you this, not just as a guess, but the way Genesis is using this word yada. Genesis 4.1, you don't have to turn to all these, you'll, you'll hear it. Genesis 4.1, now Adam knew, yada, Adam knew his Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have, begotten a, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. You hear that? Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived. <laughs> That's a little more than an intellectual knowing. I, I don't think there's any other way we could understand that word, yada, um, unless they had a magical way of conceiving that I don't know about. So um, this, is, this is clearly um, talking about sexual relations. Again, Genesis 4, 17. Cain, that's uh, one, one of the children, uh, yeah, the child that was born in 4, 1. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. There again, the exact same situation. Genesis 4.25, this is after uh, Cain killed Abel. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Again, plain as day, right? Adam knew. Cain knew. Adam knew. Again, Adam knew his wife Eve. This is clearly talking about sexual relations just in a non-vulgar way. And, and you know, I appreciate that even about the Bible, that, it, that it's not being explicit in the, this context where it doesn't need to. But let me give you one more passage. I, there, there are many more usages of this word yada that, that would show us this, but one more. This is in our text. Look at, uh, specifically, it'll be 19 verse 8, but we'll look at 19, 5 through 8. Because I want to show you how close together this same word is being used. So look at uh, verse 5, 19.5. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Yada them. That's the, our, our word that liberal theologians say is intellectual. Verse 6. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known, yada, who have not known any man. 
Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. So Lot says, okay, guys, you want to know uh, these two visitors I have. You know what? Instead, you should, uh, you should, I'll give you my two daughters who have never known any man. Now, let's think about that. What is it saying there? What does yada mean two verses away from the, the word in question? Does it mean that they have literally never met a man, that they've never spoken to a man, even the way that the liberal theologians use it? Is this saying that these daughters have never harshly interrogated a man? Is that what it's saying? Is, that the, is it being used that way? Obviously not. This is saying that his daughters are virgins, right? So you have two verses, three verses uh, apart, the word no, this exact same word, yada, being used to clearly talk about sexual relations. Yes, sexual relations is what is in view. That is exactly what these men want. It is intellectually dishonest and hermeneutically dishonest to say, yeah, I can see how that's not talking about that they wanted to have sexual relations. It's not, not doable. It's not a viable option. But you might say, well, maybe the problem wasn't the, 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 uh, <clears throat> the homosexuality. Maybe the problem is that they're forcing sexual relations on these men. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't have mattered if the, the visitors were men or women or whatever, right? So maybe it's not homosexuality that's in view here. That, again, would be another liberal argument. It just so happens that they are men. Let me give you two answers, biblical answers to that. I mean, this stuff is, I'm, I'm not doing anything deep here. I'm showing you plain as day things in the text that, again, the, the liberal theologian um, refuses to look at. In verses 4 and 5, uh, the term men is emphasized, okay? Men and then the men visitors, verse 4 and 5. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. To me, it sounds like the text is, is going through great pains to show these are males here that are wanting to, the, the men, the men of Sodom, it repeats it. And then these are men who came to visit. Again, even if you look at the Hebrew, the usage of this word, oh man, I didn't put it in here. I think it's, um, uh, I'm not even going to guess on what the Hebrew word is because I didn't put it in here um, in my notes. But the usage of this Hebrew word most often could not be taken as men as in mankind. It, it most often it has to be taken as males. And so the text is going to great pains to show these are men. Secondly, so is it homosexuality in view is the question. Would it have mattered if the visitors were male or female? Yes, it absolutely matters. Why do I say that? Well, right there in the text, two females were offered to the men of Sodom, weren't they? And, and did they say, well, okay, well, we just, we just want to force ourselves sexually onto someone, male, female, doesn't matter. No, they reject the offer of two virgin females. Verses 6 through 9, Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they, that's the men of Sodom, they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. 
Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break the door down. It obviously mattered whether or not it was men or women. His daughters were offered. The sin in view here is homosexuality. And if we even could possibly intellectually be, be faithful to the text and say, well, maybe it's not homosexuality, we could actually look to the New Testament, which tells us what the sin of Sodom was. Jude, uh, verse 7, Jude has no chapters, it's just one chapter. Jude, verse 7, in the context of God's judgment, says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Did you hear that? So you have here Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality. Okay, sexual immorality. Maybe they, maybe they were just, uh, you know, having relations with whoever they wanted, you know, outside of marriage. Maybe that's what it's talking about there. But then it says there, they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. Unnatural desire. Again, the, the usage of this um, word is... is in the sexual context, this unnatural desire. And again, I'm just going to tell you, the liberal theologian here would say, well, you know what the unnatural desire is? That these men wanted to have sexual relations with angels. You remember that? The visitors, the two visitors were angels who had uh, taken on the appearance of men. So that's the unnatural desire. That's, that's what's being condemned here in Jude 7. But then, again, we do a little bit of work, um, if that were even possible. Hebrews 13.2 says this, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. It's kind of a weird word, unawares. I wonder if I got that out of the ESV. Anyways, um, so you have here, I don't know of any other example in the Bible. I do not know of another example in the Bible where anyone has entertained, shown hospitality to angels and didn't know about it. You remember Abraham brought these men in. He, he didn't know that they were angels at first. Eventually, they, uh, the Lord starts speaking to him, and he starts to understand, okay, this is Yahweh God, uh, and those are angels. And the same for Lot. He didn't realize uh, that they were angels. Nowhere in the text do we see that he believes them to be angels um, at all. And that's the whole point of Hebrews 13 too, is that they showed hospitality to strangers and they were actually angels and they didn't know about it. So if Abraham and Lot didn't know about it, certainly the men of Sodom did not know it. So there is no way around it that this unnatural desire of the, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah is that of homosexuality. A man with a man, a woman with a woman. This is unnatural. It is not the way God made us to be. That is the sin of Sodom. So we, we've, we've answered some, some big questions here, uh, haven't we? I, I just want to be as plain as possible. The sin of Sodom, amongst others, but one of the main ones pointed out in God's word, is that of homosexuality. No matter how much the liberal theologian wants to, to twist and do uh, hermeneutical gymnastics, I combined those words, hermeneutical gymnastics, no matter how much they want to try to hop around and make it say something other than it does, it is plain as day, if we're being intellectually honest, that we see that the reason they were destroyed, part of their great wickedness, was 
this homosexuality and just happened to manifest itself in enforcing themselves upon these visitors at this time. So there's, there's no question about it. There are other times, by the way, um, in, the, in the Old Testament that, that talk about homosexuality. Leviticus 18.22, I think, and then chapter 20. I forget what verse uh, talks about homosexuality. One says it is an abomination before the Lord. So the question for us then is, okay, that was 6,000 years ago, right? That, that was a different culture, a different time. Those people were angels, and so maybe that made things different, different for them. So what does this mean for us 6,000 years later as we, we read this text? Is it still worthy of God's judgment, this homosexuality? And if it is, what does that mean? Uh, how should we respond to it? Well, again, the, the liberal argument I want to give you is uh, many would say that while homosexuality was considered a sin in the Old Testament, both here and in Leviticus, that now we live in the New Testament era. This is the era of grace. You know, Jesus has come. Now it's, it's all about acceptance. It's all about uh, just, just, just loving people and accepting people. That's what matters. And they would say homosexuality is not, not still a sin in the New Testament era problem with that is, again, this stuff is really not hard to think through, uh, is at least four times in the New Testament, homosexuality is condemned in no uncertain terms. It's, it's very clear in the New Testament. We have that Jude 7 that we wrote a, read a moment ago, but you could say, well, that was talking about the Old Testament. So, okay, we'll look at the other three. 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 11. Again, you don't have to turn there. I'm not going to spend much time it says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So we see here that men who practice homosexuality are called here lawless, disobedient, ungodly sinners, unholy, and profane. That's pretty clear right there in 1 Timothy. This is not Old Testament, Leviticus. You know, you could even say in Leviticus, well, maybe that was just for the Levites. These men served in the temple. Maybe that was just for them. Well, here in 1 Timothy, it's talking about just everybody. Another example, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Paul says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We'll come back to that some a little later, but in that passage we see the men who practice homosexuality are called the unrighteous. That's a pretty clear term right there. They're called the unrighteous, and it says twice they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so I want to say to you, is homosexuality a big deal? Was it a big deal in the days of Sodom? 
Yes, God destroyed a city and surrounding cities because of it, at least in part because of it. God destroyed them as part of his judgment. Is it still a big deal today? Yes, those who practice, who give themselves to homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, this is the wording here, those who practice homosexuality. This is not saying you have a same-sex attraction, a temptation towards homosexuality, but those who give themselves to practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yes, it is incredibly important that we know about homosexuality. Okay, if I struggle with it, do I give in or do I fight it? If you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live there are many desires that we may have in our, uh, our hearts that we need to repress, right? Some people would say that, well, if I have a desire, God must want me to fulfill it, right? God would never let me have a desire and me not fulfill it. Really? Do you know how often I have desires that I have to repress, repent of, and ask God to help me not commit all the time, all the time, someone annoys me and I want to say something rude back to them. That's a desire I have. There have been times I have wanted people not to exist because they were causing me so much trouble. But you know what? Murder is wrong. I must suppress that desire. Sometimes I want to get out of trouble. And so, you know what would get me out of trouble in that instance? I could lie about it. I, I, it is my desire to not be looked badly upon. Maybe people would even think better than me than I really am. But I must suppress that desire in the same way. Homosexuality, yes, it is a real desire. No one's saying it is not, but it must be uh, fought by the Spirit in order to have life, in order to inherit the kingdom of God. So yes, this is very important. But there is one final passage I want to draw your attention to, and this one I would love for you to turn to. Romans chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 18 through 32, at, at least at some level. Romans chapter 1, because I think this, this will be helpful for us uh, who may feel proud. Well, I don't struggle with homosexuality. Great. We're so proud of you, you know, but we, we need to understand where homosexuality actually comes from. Why does it even exist? Why did Sodom uh, and Gomorrah and, and these other cities struggle with it? Why do people still struggle with it today? What I want I'm going to read this text with you here in a moment, but I, what I want you to pay, pay special attention to is the progression of events, okay? Things progress. First, God is going to reveal himself to, to mankind. Well, it's actually telling us why God's uh, wrath is being revealed, but it's going to tell us, you know, that he reveals himself to mankind, but mankind uh, go against him, and then it will tell us what God does um, as part of his wrath and so that's what you'll need to pay attention to is also that God gave them up. It'll be there many times in this text. God gave them up, which may, basically means God let them go their own way, um, their own terrible way. So Romans 1, 18 through 32. Listen to this. Again, this is New Testament uh, passage that, that is going to talk about homosexuality. I also want to point out to you one other thing, okay? just in case I forget this, because I know it's not in my notes, but I, I, I've got to say it. Some would say, well, even, even in the New Testament times, it was a cultural thing, and that's why uh, they were against it. In the Jewish culture, homosexuality was considered bad, so that, that's why, that's why uh, 
they, they, it's, it's here in the New Testament, but that's not true for us today because our, our cultures have evolved and things like that. What I want to say, though, is as we read this text, notice that it points back to creation, not to custom, okay? It's going to point back to creation, the way God intended things to be and the way things went, not to, well, the Jewish customs were this way, and, and maybe now here in America we have a different custom that's just fine. No, it's pointing back to creation, which America and Israel falls under. So anyway, those are just things I want you to pay attention to. Romans 1, verse 18 is where we'll begin. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I'm going to pause there for just a moment because that's kind of a heading. What that's saying is that currently the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. That's, that's from God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So this, what it's going to say is... is this is what it looks like, the wrath of God right now, currently. Uh, here in, in 2019, what the wrath of God currently looks like is this. And it'll say why there's that wrath, but then again, what it looks like. All right, so pick up again in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. This is talking about humanity. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So God has revealed himself, so they are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Let's pause there for a moment. Here we see that, that mankind knew who God was, how glorious he was, but they became foolish and they rejected this God, right? We saw that uh, in the, the Eden account, the Garden of Eden. They, they, they knew God. They saw his, his glory in creation even, yet they still foolishly went their own way. And I would say that that has repeatedly happened again and again. Uh, both we are born with the sin nature, but then we at some point choose even to go against the glory of God. And it says there uh, they, they, they make for themselves selves images and they, they worship these Images. That's talking about idol worship, which, by the way, we see happen at the Tower of Babel, uh, most likely for the first time. So it says, verse 24, Therefore, therefore, because of all that, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts. That word lust, by the way, is, is, is sinful desire. If you were to uh, break it down, lust simply means sinful desire. It's often used in a sexual way, but it's not always what it means. So God gave them up in the sinful desires of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason, this keeps progressing, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Here we go. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. 
That's speaking, obviously, of homosexuality. 27, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. What we need to see here, again, is understanding the progression. It started with the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. The wrath of God is revealed. Well, why is the wrath of God being currently revealed? Well, because we rejected God. God was supposed to be the center of the universe, the center of our lives, the center of our hearts, but we rejected him. And so the wrath of God that is being currently revealed, there is a wrath to come, but the wrath that is currently being revealed is that God gives us up in the lusts of our hearts, the, the passions of our hearts. God basically, part of his wrath, hear me, this is, this is probably not the way you usually think about it. Part of God's wrath is letting us go our sinful way. We, like sheep, has, have gone astray. God, God at one point saw us wandering away and said, fine, go. I've got green pastures for you here. I have created a good earth. I have created good patterns. I am your good shepherd, but you want to walk away? Try out the desert. See how it feels. That's exactly what God did with all humanity. And the specific one, even that it shows us, uh, that he gives us here is women exchanged natural relations to those contrary to nature. Men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving themselves the due penalty for their error. God gave people up. That is part of God's wrath today. Is, is, let's, let's take homosexuality out for a second, Okay. You have a temptation to sin. You maybe even give in to that temptation. That is part of the just penalty for you being a sinner, both by nature and by choice. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I hate it when I sin. It hurts when I sin. And, and just like even with homosexuality, it says you, you receive in yourselves the due penalty for your error. I mean, again, we could talk about it with homosexuality. What is the due penalty for their error? It's lots of things. It's just a, a chaotic life in many ways. You can think about uh, physically, the body is not made to commit homosexual acts. Uh, you, you talk to any doctor, it is not a healthy lifestyle. You think about uh, transmitted diseases are exponentially transmitted within the homosexual community. Again, because the body is not made to do that, and, and therefore, the, the, the diseases pass much more rampantly. Um, the, these people, they're, the, these people that, that we uh, have been given up to this particular temptation, it says they're, they're consumed with passion for one another. That, that consumed, that's a bondage. These people are in a bondage that they cannot get out of. Again, I don't want to go into statistics, but statistically, uh, the homosexual, homosexual has way, 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 way more partners than a heterosexual because they are so consumed with this passion. I could go into so many more um, details there, but um, <clears throat> you think about psychologically the torment and, and the shame that is uh, brought upon themselves as a homosexual, homosexual and spiritually, spiritually, the the the... the darkening that just continually happens. Think about it here um, in, in uh, verse 11 of, of Genesis. 
it said, And they, were, they struck with blindness, the angels struck with blindness, the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. I mean, have you ever thought of the insanity of that? You have a crowd of men wanting to, to forcibly put themselves upon these visitors. They are struck with blindness, all of them. Do they go running away, you know, trying to make a doctor's appointment because that's what a rational person does? No, they wear themselves out trying to find the door so they can break it down. I mean, it's psychotic. It really is. I mean, but this, again, we we see that progression in in the Romans. Their their hearts were dark and claiming to be wise and become fools. God gives them up uh, to these things. They are in bondage. They are, they are, uh, there, there's this spiritual sickness and even psychological sickness going on here. But you might wonder, and this is important, okay, why would God do this? Why would God let that be a part of his wrath? God never does anything without a purpose, although we do deserve wrath. If you're still in Romans, you can turn over to Romans 8, verse 20 and 21. We won't spend too long here, but Romans 8, verses 20 and 21. <clears throat> It says there, for the creation was subjected to futility, right? That's what we're talking about. This curse was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God actually has a purpose for his wrath being revealed among men, as we see there in Romans 1. There's actually a purpose for it. The reason God gave us up to our sinful desires, whether those be homosexual or otherwise, was here in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I said that quickly, but let me explain. We are supposed to see and feel and experience the sin in this world, the brokenness of this world, the pain, the just penalty in our bodies. It said there, we're supposed to see and feel that and say, what has gone wrong in this world? This, this is a, something is, is terribly amiss. Something is terribly wrong. We're supposed to see that life without God at its center does not work. It is futility. You see that there? The creation itself was subjected to futility. We're supposed to recognize that this world is futile without God at its center. And the next step of that, obviously the logical progression would be that that would turn us in dependence upon God, repentance to God, and faith in in God. Dependence saying, okay, if this is what life is like without God, if this is what life is like when I follow my sinful passions, when I don't fight these passions, when I'm not worshiping God, if this is the way life goes, I want God. I want to depend on Him and the way He set this world up to be. Marriage and sexuality is an incredibly beautiful gift that is forfeited by by, by sexuality, sexual immorality, any kind of perversion, we should say, you know what? I want it God's way. I want it God's way and depend on him. That should lead us to repent of our own way. I have been rebelling against God. I I have these temptations. I've been giving into them. I've been worshiping the creation rather than the creator. 
I don't want it to be that way anymore, but I've got this mound of sin upon me. And that turns us to faith. God, I trust in what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. God subjected creation to futility in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God has a good plan here. And it's almost hard to say that because our our wisdom is so uh, finite compared to God's infinite wisdom. In God's wisdom, when we rebelled against him, it seemed good to him to let us go into these sins, to let our hearts uh, be consumed with sinful passions. And part of the reason for that being to turn us to him. Do you guys see that? That God is still in control even when homosexuality is rampant, even when we just came out of Pride Month. God is still in control, and it should lead us not to hatred, but to repentance, to saying, I hate the sinful world we live in, uh, and the sin of my own heart. I hate it. I want to point out to you, this is so important, because some of us say, oh, even pastors. I, I, I watched um, the news, I don't know, my wife maybe would know, maybe two months ago on the news, we were, we were at my uh, uh, in-law's house, and I heard that there is a pastor, he's on the news for this, I'm, I hate that he gets publicity, um, but he says that homosexuals are an abomination and they deserve uh, to be killed. That, that, was, that was his, okay, we have homosexuality, and you know what? They deserve to be killed. We should put them to death. That was this pastor's... Uh, um, point that he's making and he felt so justified in it well i'm just you know carrying my cross i'm yelling at the tv at this point saying what an idiot he is making christians look like bigoted fools anytime 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 someone else's sin leads to hatred and 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 unkindness and unloving action toward the sinner we have forgotten where we come from we have forgotten our own sin Every other time, I believe, other than Jude, every other time homosexuality is mentioned in the New Testament, it is listed amongst a list of sins. You may not struggle with homosexuality, but listen as we go on in Romans 1 a little further. This is just in that same passage, Romans 1, 28, beginning. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. If you don't struggle with homosexuality, I can guarantee you, you struggle with one of those other things. Let's think about this. Covetousness was one of the things in the list. Have you ever wanted something that was not yours? A bigger house, a nicer car, nicer clothes, cooler shoes. Have you ever wanted something that is not yours? Malice. Have you ever hated another person, maybe for something they did to you, maybe for, for no reason at all? Have you ever hated someone? Envy. Have you ever looked at someone else's life and said, I wish that were my life? I want people to treat me the way they treat them. I want to look the way they look. Envy. 
It says there, deceit. Have you ever told a half-truth? Make yourself look better, maybe get out of trouble, which is a whole lie. A gossip. Have you ever talked badly about someone behind your back? Hallie, you won't believe what this person did. It has come out of my mouth. I have gossiped. Slander, it says there. That's even making up things about them. It says here, haughty and boastful. Do you ever feel superior to others? That's haughtiness. Do you ever boast trying to let others know that you're superior to others, right? And we say, those homosexuals, they're so terrible. Come on. If you haven't committed all of those, you're doing pretty good. I have committed so many of these. We look again at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 uh, through 11. Or do you not know that the, unrighteousness, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. Ever been there? This is who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, you love money, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It says there, and such were some of you. And this, the way he's saying that is, you may not be uh, each of these things, but such were, some of you were homosexual, some of you were swindlers, some of you were revilers, some of you were greedy, some of you were thieves. But it goes on, and this is the good news for all of us, even for homosexuals, please understand this, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Is homosexuality a sin? Yes, it was uh, in, in, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham and Lot. Yes, it was a sin. Is it a sin in New Testament days? Yes, Paul writes about it. Is it a sin today? Yes, anyone who says well, you know, that was just a cultural interpretation. That person cannot be trusted because they're going to reinterpret the whole Bible however they want to culturally. Yes, it is a sin. But all of us are, are under this curse of sin, God's just judgment that is meant to lead us to dependence, repentance, and faith. So I want to give you some practical applications here. Okay, those of you who do not struggle with same-sex attraction, do not struggle with uh, this desire for homosexuality, you need to understand that God has allowed, in his good plan, God has allowed homosexuality into this world to show our depravity without him. Recognize what you're seeing. It is meant to lead us to see our, our need for God. And the same is true for whatever your sin is. You need to see that you and each sin you commit is just as um, worthy of judgment as that sin of homosexuality, uh, as practicing homosexuality. So you and that person who does struggle both need to see your sin. Both of you need to turn to God in dependence, repentance, and faith. And I would say this, instead of being a stumbling block to those who do struggle with homosexuality by your pride, by your judgmental attitude, 
Why don't you be an agent of God's love and God's grace instead? I'm not saying you wholesale accept them. Oh, it's okay. Do whatever you want. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. In fact, you look at um, Romans 1 verse 32. It says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We do not give approval to those who practice them. I'll tell you one thing that means, real practical. That means you do not attend, most likely, work it out with God and yourself, because, but don't attend a, a homosexual wedding if you're invited. It's not a wedding, number one. It's a quote-unquote homosexual wedding. It's, it's, it's not ordained in heaven. God is not bringing those two people together because it is not a union between man and wife. And you going there, I mean, my understanding, I say this at every wedding I do, is we are here as witnesses, right? We're affirming, we're approving of this joining together of, of a couple. It says here, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Going and supporting and approving these things is saying, I don't care that, that you're practice that this thing you're joining yourself in, I mean, you're locking yourself in, um, in some sense, locking yourself into this homosexual way of life, practicing homosexuality. I don't care that you're going to go to hell for that. That's, that's what you're saying um, in some ways by, by attending a, a homosexual wedding. Again, there's no verse that says don't attend a homosexual wedding, but I'm taking that principle, and I'm just giving you practical things here. But, so, so we, we, we urge them, this is a sin, but there is a Savior. And I would say this, if you're urging someone this way, put yourself in the same boat uh, that they are in, because you were and such were some of you. Even if you are not a man, who practices, a man who practices homosexuality, a woman who practices homosexuality, you are greedy, you are boastful, you are all these other things that deserve hell just as much. And so you tell them, hey, I've been forgiven of sin. You've got your sin, I've got my sin. I say, turn from that life. So that, that's how we talk to other people. Do not look down your nose in pride at them. You have your own burden of sin, your own judgment of sin to carry. Now, to any who do struggle uh, with homosexuality in this room, and that, that maybe some of you, I want you to know uh, several things. Number one, it is a sin. If you say, okay, I'm just going to give in to it, I'm going to practice it, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Plain as day, First Corinthians uh, six. That, that that's just the biblical truth. But you also need to know that's not where the story, the biblical story, ends. God, listen to me. God does not love you any less because of your homosexual leanings, even if you have practiced, even if you have given into those things. God does not love you any less. God does not want to take your sin any less than he wants to take my sin. God does not want to take your shame any less than he wants to take my shame. The offer of salvation is, is there for all. Heterosexual, homosexual, we all have our sins And I, I, would, I would urge you, you may wonder, how could I possibly give this up? It, I, I, I have this burning desire. They're consumed with passion, the Bible says. I believe that. 
I believe that, that if, if you struggle with same-sex attraction, you may be consumed with desire. But the good news is, the good news is that you can be consumed with a greater desire. You can be consumed with a desire that will surpass and eclipse your desire for any kind of homosexual relations. I, I'm not, God may deliver you from it as you turn to him. I would even pray for that, that God would deliver you from that temptation. But if he doesn't, he can give you a greater desire. Either way, he'll give you this greater desire, and that is this desire to know him, to experience him, to serve him, taste and see that the Lord is good. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's a song, not a verse. It's a verse of a song, but it is true. (laughs) If you struggle with homosexuality, turn your eyes upon Jesus. If you don't struggle with homosexuality, turn your eyes upon Jesus. We must have our desires for Christ, desires for God be greater than our desires for sin, because otherwise we will not inherit the kingdom of God. We are justified, but there is a holiness without which we will uh, not see the Lord, Hebrews tells us, and we must all have it. So I invite all of you to, I hope, along with me, to instead of being um, just a church that hates sin, that, that, that hates these uh, perversions in the world, Uh, these perversions outside our doors, I I pray that we would be a humble people, a people who recognize our own sin being just as great, and I pray that we would be a gracious people, that our, our speech would always be seasoned with salt. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for upbuilding, that it may give grace to those who hear, it says in Ephesians. No more joking. It's not funny. It's the judgment of God on this world. No more hatred. You're no more deserving. And for those who struggle with it, no more giving in. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I again recognize that this message likely struck many of us in different ways. Some in this room may feel I was too easy on those who struggle with or have given in to homosexuality. Some of us in this room may feel that I was too hard on those who struggle with homosexuality. God, let us be biblically balanced people, biblically seasoned and flavored people, God, who hear your word for what it is and know your gospel and accept your gospel for what it is. God, I pray that there would be repentance in this room, even as we have a response time in a moment, Lord, that we would repent if we have hated, been mean to, even in our hearts, those who struggle with homosexuality. God, would you humble us, remind us, bring to our minds the sins that we have and help us in that moment to remember, okay, I have a a Savior to cast my sin upon. Thank you in the same way.
those who struggle with other things do. Lord, if anyone in this room struggles with same-sex attraction, God, I pray that you would help them even in this moment see that you are more to be desired than giving in to their lustful desires, God. Lord, I pray that you would, if they are not yet saved, that you would save them, that you would lead them in repentance and faith, and then that you would uh, either relieve them of this attraction, or God, you would put them on a long road of continually seeing their need for you and continually drawing near to you that their desire for you will be greater than that for sin. God, help us as we interact with this country. Help us as we interact uh, with, with our neighbors and friends and family members. And help us as we interact with you in our own souls. This I pray in your son's name. Amen. We will have a response time. You're welcome to, to pray in your seats. You're welcome to come up here and, and pray with me if you'd like. I'll be standing here or even come up to these stairs or the, the benches. Um, just do business with God during this time, I, I ask you to. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face And the things of 